Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 74 with Daryl Wade of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. 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 The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth Ghost, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Barbara Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hey guys, hello and welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. My name is Nathan Chan and I'm your host coming to you live from Melbourne, Australia. So I hope you're all having a great start to your 2016. Things have been pretty hectic for me so far, but uh, we're off to a cracking start and uh, really, really pumped. So anyways... About today's guest, uh, now this one's a really interesting one because for those of you that I guess have been following along the founder journey and and the story of founder and, and, and my journey as an entrepreneur, uh, some of you will know, some of you might not know that I actually started founder, ooh, we're getting close to three years now. We started March 2013. And uh, when we hit March, it's, we're, we're going to be operating for three years now. And I actually started Founder on the side while I was working my day job. And, you know, this episode is, I guess, a real, like, not only just a like an amazing interview, uh, where we interviewed Daryl Wade, who's the founder, co-founder of Intrepid Travel, which is the company I used to work for. And, uh, you know, this year they're going to do... They do like over 300 million in revenue. Uh, They are a pioneer in the adventure travel space and uh, they're doing really, really cool stuff. And um, yeah, like I said, if you you haven't been following the journey, you know, 
here I am, you know, three years later, I obviously left my job and I've gone full circle now interviewing uh, pretty much my old boss. And uh, it's really, really cool to be able to uh, speak with Daryl and, and delve a bit deeper on the intrepid story. And we talked about a lot of things that not even I knew. And I think what's most awesome about Daryl is he's just such an extremely humble guy, a super, super savvy, smart entrepreneur. He's a mentor and a great friend of mine, and he's taught me a lot. Uh, you probably wouldn't know this, but uh, in the early days when I started Founder, while I was working at Intrepid, I was actually sued for trademark infringement by one of the biggest business magazines in the States. Now, I can't say who that was, but I can tell you that it was a very traumatic time, especially starting your first ever business and not knowing anything about entrepreneurship to actually get sued and not knowing anything about being sued for trademark infringement. And uh, Daryl actually helped me uh, through that ordeal. And uh, I've always been very thankful that uh, he was able to do that and uh, support me. And um, yeah, he's been a he's been an amazing supporter of my journey as an entrepreneur and the founder brand ever since. So yeah, look, uh, that's it from me, guys. As I said, this is an interesting story because I'm, like I said, pretty much interviewing my old boss and uh, he is a absolute weapon entrepreneur. So if you want to learn about investing, entrepreneurship, you know, scale, growth, team building, leadership, we talk about this and so much more in this episode. So it's a ton of fun. Okay, I'm sure you're going to get a lot of gold from this. Now it's time for the show. Daryl, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Thanks, it's, man. It's um, a pleasure. It's really funny because, you know, you were essentially my boss and, and now and now I'm interviewing you. So yeah, I'm the subject now. You're the, you're the subject. Very threatening. <laughs> so it's uh, it's a ton of fun. Like it's it's funny that, you know, I've gone full circle with Founder and and, and I can interview you because, you know, you've done some amazing things with Intrepid, Intrepid Travel, you know, you've disrupted a market, you've built an amazing company. So, yeah, look, thank you so much for taking the time. Pleasure. I well remember being on the train one day and you're coming up to me and saying, hey, Daryl, can I interview for your magazine? And I'm thinking, you've got a magazine? Look at you now. Well done, mate. Go for it. Well, thank you. So I guess the, the first question I ask every single person that comes on is, how did you get your job? Well... Immediately after university, I had a couple of jobs, but I have to say I was pretty bloody lousy at jobs. I was never a very good employee. So I guess I kind of, you think, well, what am I going to do in life? What am I really good at? I'm quite a good traveler. Can I make a living out of travel? Can I make a business out of travel? Maybe. So you toss around ideas, eventually you come up with an idea. Might have worked, might not have worked. I was lucky it worked. <laughs> so take us back to the beginning, like that moment you you've been going, you guys have been going for 22 years 23 27 oh geez 27 years yeah. and this was your first startup pretty much yeah uh, you know obviously I had lots of different things and whatnot but it's it's kind of an interesting story in that um, uh, my girlfriend at the time then became my wife and is still my wife yeah uh, I used to often come home with her uh, to her uh, with ideas for businesses and yes. you know I'd be you know a crap employee somewhere and I'd come home and I'd say hey I've got this fantastic idea you know I reckon there's a huge opportunity in yabbies <laughs> and she looks at me and goes yabbies <laughs> and uh, for, for non-Australian listeners they're kind of like a prawn thing and I've never done any farming and she just said you'll be a terrible you know you can't farm you've got no idea what it's all about disaster shocking don't do it you know three months later 
come home. Hey, I've got this great idea. I think we should import ultralights. You know, they're the new trendy things. They're going to be fantastic, take over the world, blah, blah, blah. Never quite did. But anyway, she goes, you can't fly. It'll be a disaster. You'll kill yourself. You're not doing it. So didn't do it. And this kind of rolls on. And then eventually I had the idea for a travel company. And she goes, you know what? That could be a good idea. And I thought, okay, if she's saying it's a good idea, we're going. <laughs> and it was a good idea. So there you go. Awesome. And so you met your co-founder, Manch, at uni yep. together. Yep. Day one of university, in fact. Day one of university. You went to Melbourne Uni and you were still coming up with business ideas. Like how long were you guys friends until you did your first trip? And tell us about that. Yeah, so so we did the same. We were in the same residential college together, doing yep. the same course together. So we got to know each other pretty well. Um, and then uh, at the end of that three years, we ran off traveling together just you know for fun, as you do. Um, got back, he got jobs, I got jobs, blah, 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 partners, all that kind of thing. Yep. Um, so we, we knew each other for, must have been 10 years, I think. Before we started the business. So, oh, wow. Yeah, so that was really good because, you know, we'd traveled a lot together. Um, we had never actually shared a house, but, you know, did a lot of stuff together. So we knew each other really well and, you know, the, the good, the bad and the ugly, if you like. And yeah. so I think, you know, starting a business, particularly with a co-founder, one of the biggest issues is that trust and knowledge about the other person. And, and we were kind of lucky that we were able to stress test that partnership outside of the business environment. So, you know, we've been super lucky. We've never had a crossword, the two of us, in 27 years of business. Yeah, wow. It's not bad. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. So you did you did some travel and then how did the idea get conceived? Like, so you, you, you yeah, think so, your partner Anna and you thought it was an yeah, idea so after so you went on the trip? Travel's been part yeah. of my life since I've been little. Uh, okay. So my uh, my dad used to travel for his work and we'd quite often tag on it. You know, the family would tag ah, on at the okay. end of the holidays. So I guess... It's always, and this is in the kind of the 60s when traveling as a kid was relatively unusual. Yeah, okay. um, So, you know, I guess travel's always been something as a part of my life and it's just something I'm loved and, and, you know, through various trips before Intrepid, you know, I'd go for a year off traveling through Asia and then work for a couple of years, a year traveling through Africa, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, okay, wow. So again, that's kind of unusual. And, and I suppose just I traveled in a, in a certain style, a certain way, largely as an independent traveler. And Manch and I just had this conversation one day about all the advantages of traveling on your own, just with a, a lonely planet book and away you go for a few months and it's terrific. But also all the disadvantages, if you like, um, from a, a normal person's perspective. You know, like most people can't take two months or three months or a year or whatever to go traveling or don't. And so we just kind of thought, well, is there a way to combine all the advantages of independent travel in terms of being close to the culture and meeting people and using a hundred different forms of transport, staying in all sorts of weird and wonderful places, really getting to know a culture, but doing it in a semi-organized way so that you can be efficient and do it in your, as part of your annual leave. And so that was the idea. And we just kind of thought, well, we could do this, do this, do this, do this, put together a kind of a one-page business plan, if you like, yep. uh, and thought, yeah, that should work. And at that point, Anna goes, yeah, that probably will work. Ah, okay, so, gotcha. So, so she was the first market tester, the first validation. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So I've always seen this photo of you, Manch. Do we have these, to talk about that? It's, it's really interesting. <laughs> I'm, I'm just curious. Like I really want to go back to the moments. I think yeah. that's really important. Yeah. Um, like, so yeah, tell us about so that. So that's that photo in Africa and i got beard and shorts on and it's <laughs> yeah. all... Uh, yeah, someone said, you know, you were the original hipster, weren't you? No. Anyway, um, 
Yeah, so I guess you, you, you know, like anyone starting a business, you have an idea and you think what it could be and, you, you know, you condense it into, you know, this business plan or model or whatever and you start to think about distribution, you start to think about where you're going to get money from, but ultimately you haven't got a clue, have you? You don't know whether it's going to work, you don't know really even how to do it, you've possibly never even worked in the space before. Like I never knew anything about the travel industry, mm. didn't know anything, <laughs> didn't know anyone, but... Uh, got back from Africa and uh, Manch went on and travelled a bit through the States. I got back and just trying to started to work up the bit ideas in a bit more formal sense. Uh, had a talk to a bank who didn't want to know about us, not surprisingly. Yeah. You know, they're not going to lend us money. Why should they? So I managed to scrape up some money for myself uh, in terms of the first period of time. Witten had a, got a, had a couple of contacts who kind of created a couple of contacts and just talked to them about the idea. Yeah. Uh, people who should know, if you like. And um, it didn't go particularly well to the degree that, you know, they said, oh, you know, that's not going to work. Why would people do that? You know, so basically we're talking about a, almost a glorified backpacking, if you like. Yeah. And people just said, no, people won't want to do that. You know, they want to go and go on a coach tour or they want to stay in a four-star, five-star hotel or whatever. Why would they want to do that? That sounds weird. You know, I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, great. And three or four people said this to us and... So at that point, you kind of have that um, dichotomy almost, and you think, well, on the one hand, maybe it's a good idea and it'll work, just no one's thought of it. Mm. Or maybe it's a really dumb idea, and we'll fall flat on our face and it'll be all over in three months or whatever. And um, again, I kind of went home and my all-knowing wife <laughs> said, well, what's the worst could happen? You know, if it doesn't work, you go and get a real job and that's fine and at least you've got it out of your system. Mm. Or... Conversely, maybe it will work. Yeah, that's what you said to me when I when I was thinking of leaving Intrepid. <laughs> that's right. I didn't want to lose you, mate. Don't get me wrong, but you've got to get this thing out. You've got to give it a crack, don't you? What's mm. the worst that can go wrong? I think I said, yeah, yeah, come yeah, back yeah, to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. It was. It was the. I don't think thing you're going to be back. <laughs> so, you know, I still, I still think it. Like it's very hard. Like, how did you get customers? Tell us about your first couple of trips. Like, how, and because you, yeah. you kind of like invent. Like, I don't know if you could say you invented that sector, but adventure travel didn't exist. Like well, you said, not like it is now. No, yeah. that's true. And, and and look, I certainly make no claims about inventing anything. Yeah, I, I don't think so. But I, I suppose in terms of carving out a new space in the travel industry, yeah, we probably did do that. And so. You know, I'd like to say we're geniuses and it all went really well, but the reality is it didn't. Um, you know, we, we put half of our startup capital into a um, physical travel brochure. There was no internet then, pre-internet, pre-email, you know, a long time ago. Um, distributed that travel brochure around travel agencies, knocked on doors. Blah, blah, blah. The reality is most travel agents weren't interested in the space at that time. So you put a couple of ads in newspapers, remember those? Um, <laughs> yeah, wow. And you got a few phone calls, but, you know, we were just having a, a talk before about, you know, the, the virtues of Facebook and Google and whatnot yeah. in terms of advertising. Well, let me tell you, newspapers were worse even then, let alone what they are now. And so, you know, the very first year we chewed up all of our startup capital, which admittedly was only uh, $20,000, but even still it all gone. Yeah, that's decent. And Yeah, that's right. Back and, in those days. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> and um, the first year we took 47 travellers. So it was hardly a wow. great, uh, you know, a roaring success. The next year uh, we went and put a new trip together in addition to the first one, got up to 150 travellers, the next 500 travellers, et cetera, et cetera. And so just, you know, gradually grew. But the first three, uh, even, um, in fact, I remember a lunch with Manch on 
in year four. And his kind of opening line was just, isn't it going well? It's going really well. He'd been leading trips most of the time in Thailand and he'd just kind of come back. And, and I said, well, yeah, it's kind of going well in that we've really got some growth going. Yeah. But my wallet's still empty and I've got a kid now and things have changed and I'm yeah, not earning wow. enough money, buddy. And we've got to really work out whether it's going to work. And I think he was a little shocked because yeah. even year four, you know, kind of, you know, I was earning a third of what I was in my previous job. Yeah, wow. It wasn't up. So it was slow. It was really slow. And fortunately, that growth momentum uh, maintained. And, um, you know, I guess the rest is history to a certain extent. Okay. So just to give our audience a perspective, where is Intrepid at now? You used to be peak. Mm. So in, in, yeah. Intrepid is, is now a group, yeah. uh, if you like. So there's Intrepid Travel, which is a, a tour offering brand, which for all the world does exactly what we've always done. Yeah. Um, small group, adventure holidays, off the beaten path, very immersive, etc. Over the years, we've either started or acquired a whole heap of other businesses as well, yep. some of which are highly complementary, some of which are more kind of competitive space, but because you own them, it doesn't matter. They're catering for, for new and different markets. But all of what we do is largely in the experiential adventure, kind of let's get out there, have some fun, do some stuff. Gotcha. Nice. And are you able to give some numbers around that? Or oh, yeah. Just, so, yeah. so what, you, you well, first year, what is 47 <laughs> travellers or whatever, this year I think it's 350,000 travellers or something. Yeah, wow. So our turnover is about 300 million or so. So it's still just the two of us owning yep. it. Uh, we had a... A listed company as a shareholder for about four years, as you'll well remember. Yeah. Uh, only about four months ago, we uh, we bought them out. It just wasn't quite working. I think um, uh, they, were, you know, they were good people, and it wasn't a. They weren't. Um, it was just a different culture clash, and mm. and so whereas my partner and I have always been on the same page, this shareholder was listed on the on the FTSE in in the UK, so it was very short term financially focused, high short-term return, very low risk tolerance. None of those things are bad. It's just not where we're coming from. You know, yeah. we tend to take a longer-term view. We tend to see uh, financial returns as an output, not as an input, if you like. Yes. Um, and we don't mind taking a bit of a risk. You know, well, let's if we want to go and say, well, let's go and have a look at China or let's go and have a look at this new destination or new product category, play with it, just, just like... Probably ninety-eight percent of your listeners yeah. and readers do. You know, you just got to have a bit of a crack at things, don't you? That's right. Like, what are your thoughts on risk? I, I tend to say that I'm quite risk adverse. I like calculated risk. How about you? Yeah. Um, look, I think it's not so much whether you're risk averse or not. It's really understanding your appetite for risk. Mm. Uh, so it's slightly different. So. When you look at an opportunity, you, you try to say, okay, let's look at this. Is, is the likelihood of return good or bad? Is it? Uh, and so therefore, you can look at that and say, okay, I can, I can do that. I can absorb that. I can take that on board or whatever. So, you know, and so I think, I guess my appetite for risk is moderately high. Having said that, we'd never bet the farm, yeah. you know, so you have a, have a bit of a crack at something new. Yes. But you don't put all your money into it or whatever because it's just crazy. That's just stupid. Mm. Um, but if, to a certain extent, if you don't try new things, yeah, you're never going to grow. You, you can't rest develop. on your laurels. And, yeah. and, and, and to a certain extent, you know, you're going to get bored as well. You know, it's, it's kind of fun doing <laughs> yeah. new stuff. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, that's right. It's exciting. <laughs> you know, you don't ha I don't have to anymore. <laughs> and, you know, maybe I should just go and live on a beach or something. But, hell, you know, I'd be bored in 10 seconds. 
Yeah, okay. So I find it fascinating that, you know, four years in, you know, you, you had that conversation with Mitch. I find that really interesting. When did you guys start to get like that hockey stick type growth and what kept you going? So I guess the, the part of the problem was we, we're just reinvesting every single cent in the business. Yeah. And so that's one of the reasons it was growing nicely. And that's one of the reasons I guess Mitch was thinking it's going so well because we just kept investing, you know. Yeah. And so we did that, but I suppose it was after that period of time where we just said, okay, well, let's at least pay ourselves a semi-decent salary. Um, you know, a couple of years later, you, you got a dividend, I think, for the first time, you know, and so, yep. so then it's fine. But in essence, we're still reinvesting. And so uh, it wasn't a hockey stick in terms of growth, but, you know, every year you're growing between 30 and 60%. And, yeah, okay, and so, you know, on a compound basis, that starts to add up pretty quickly, mm. you know. And what do you think fueled that besides just like sheer grit, momentum, Fueling, reinvesting? Um, a bit of momentum, yes. Um, I think at the end of the day, you've got to look at what your your client proposition is. And I think, you know, we did touch the market to the degree that clients had a bloody great holiday. And at the end of the day, if, if whatever you're doing isn't as good as it can be, you don't really deserve to exist and you're certainly not going to grow. Yeah. So we just kept saying, okay, look, if, if our financials vaguely stack up and we keep giving people the best holiday they've ever had, we'll probably do okay as a company. And sure enough, that's what we did do. So you just keep concentrating on, you know, improving your itineraries, tweaking things here and there, training your staff, doing whatever it is to make sure that, you know, that particular trip is good fun. You know. Gotcha. Um, and so, so largely it's word of mouth driving the business model ultimately. And, yep. you know, I'm a, probably a marketing guy, but... But I used to really annoy a lot of our marketing stuff because I'd say, guys, you know, no matter how clever we think we are in terms of the ads that we design or the strategies we bring to market or whatever, we know most of the people who are traveling on our trips are doing so because they've had a friend or they've had a travel agent who said, hey, these guys are intrepid. They're pretty good. They do good trips, you know. So it's not our genius. (laughs) But do you have a good focus on product then? For sure. Yeah, obsessive focus on product. Arguably still do. Yeah. Um, you know, we often have this conversation at a, at a leadership team level, you know, still, what, 27 years later, and some would argue that we're too obsessive about product. Really? Um, now, I, and, and we should be more obsessive about the customer. However, if you're obsessive about product, why? Because you want to make it as great as you can for the customer. So mm. I'm not sure that it's that much different, really. Yeah, it's about the experience because... Yeah, okay. really, you know, we're tour yeah. operators. We're not, we're not creating equipment. Phones, yeah. You know, we're not creating phones or, yeah. you know, there's no hardware to it. There's no real IP to it. It's really yeah. just that emotional piece that we've got to consistently deliver. You know, it's not even the quality of hotels or transport or anything like that. That's just logistics. For a, an operator like us, it's all around delivering those joyous, special moments of travel. So everyone goes, oh, fuck. I can't believe I've just done this or this is great or, you know, I'm so glad I'm here. You know, this is the best thing, you know. Those wow moments. Those wow moments and it's it's all about that. And so, you know, everything we do is to do that. Now, you can't manufacture that. Uh, All you can do is kind of almost like a chaos theory, put a whole lot of stuff together and those wow moments start to happen. But it's... That's our IP almost as a business. But, you know, you do that through product development and and staff development and so forth. Gotcha. So... You said you're a marketing guy. You know, I know marketing's been always a passion piece of yours. Do you have like three action items that you can give? Oh, you could have given me this question in <laughs> advance. Well, just just hit us with some really like solid things that have always 
held you in good stead. Like I know you told me, this is a really interesting story. I remember you told me one day that um, you went on this big holiday and you reckon that's where you come up with your best ideas yeah. and you come back and you, you came up with this idea for the blog. And this is when okay, blogging yeah. wasn't big and absolutely crushing. You yeah, told yeah, me yeah. you got like so many, I, don't, I can't remember how big yeah. your email list was, but you know, when I went off, we just started this, uh, you know, email newsletter as it was. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think we had a, you know, we got it to a couple of thousand or something like that. And then I took um, three and a half months off to go traveling with the family. Yeah. And, you know, just kind of thinking about it a little bit more when I was away. Mm-hmm. And then I got back and I thought, oh, bugger it, I'm going to do this thing myself and really have a bit of a play with it. Yeah. And, you know, we got it up to 180,000 people in, in kind of a Oh, I think it was only a couple of months or something. Yeah. And it's just one of those step changes. So, you know, every now and then you have step changes as a business. Uh, one of our first really significant ones was uh, it actually goes back to newspapers. Yeah. Uh, it was about year three and we just started looking at Vietnam. So Vietnam in, this is in 1992, Vietnam was closed. You know, there'd been a war there only 15 years earlier or whatever it was. Yeah. And uh, not a destination at all, but it was just starting to open up. Cracks were emerging and we knew we could do something there. Put a couple of staff up there, got vague itineraries together um, to run a trip. And then a well-known author released a, um, a four or five page article in a, in a um, Good Weekend, colour supplement in a paper. Yep. And um, saw the article on Vietnam and, and great article just about how things are changing and the emerging and all that. And I said, okay, this is a go moment. And so the very next week end, in the same magazine, we took a double-page spread in that to advertise one trip to Vietnam. And so, you know, a couple of people in the business were going, what the hell are we doing? And I said, I'm not quite sure, but I think it could work. <laughs> not a great premise, but it did work. And because people had seen that article the week before, you know, that kind of magazine, people read it every week at that time. Yeah. Um, and so then they saw the ad there. Fortunately, I got a distressed rate on the ad because it's last minute. Yeah. Um, and we got hundreds of calls. We we filled, uh, we booked 72 passengers off the back of that particular ad, yep. which way more than paid for itself. And it was just, again, it was just that step change. And sometimes... And so I'm not sure if I've got three things or something. Yeah, just give us some best practices. But but I think one of the things you can do is go where others aren't. So, you know, sometimes you've got to put your kind of balls on the line a little bit and say, okay, there's an opportunity here. Don't know whether it's going to work. You'd like to test it and validate it or whatever. Sometimes you just can't. You know, in those stages, that ad was 20000 bucks. That was a shitload of money. It was my wow. annual marketing money uh, budget. Wow. I put the whole marketing budget for the year on one ad in one paper on one day. Yeah. Could have been stupid. Yeah. Turned out okay. Um, bit lucky perhaps. But um, I think sometimes you've just got to do that. You've got to make a bit of a splash. And, you know, if, one of the things that I often find about our business but a lot of businesses that I look at, they try to be too many things to too many people. And particularly in a marketing context, you know, you do a bit of Google and a bit of Facebook and then you do a blog and then you try and do this and then you try and do that and you're probably not doing any of them particularly well. You know, see if you can find something that you actually are pretty good at. It's an uncluttered space, ideally, and then you can own it and stick it, stand out, you know, and it's, you know, it's the billboard theory almost that, you know, do something 
do it so people go, Whew, wow, that's big, you know, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that actually sits really well with me because that's kind of like, you know, how we found Instagram and that's been an amazing yeah. customer acquisition challenge yeah. for us. So we you've like, just taken off over yeah, that. Those half are, a million, a, almost half a million followers in just over a year. Yeah. Boom. Yeah, yeah, tens of thousands, almost hundreds of thousands of email subscribers. It's been yeah. crazy, just hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. So, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so, yeah, find, just find something different. Do it well. You've got to do it well, though. Yeah, you know, that's the, that you know, focus. Let's, let's never forget that if you do something half-assed, it's just not going to work for you. And, you know, whether it's your core product, like us as a tour operator, or, or whether it's a piece of marketing or whatever, you know, it's easy to just throw stuff out there, but it's just not going to work unless it sings. You know, it's really got to talk to people. Mm, okay, so I have a question for you, Daryl, that I don't know... You're gonna be. I know you're gonna be super humble about it, and you. And this is something that. No, I'm a genius. <laughs> like this is something that, that I, I've found amongst you as an entrepreneur, and and it's something that I aspire to be like as well. Is you're always extremely humble, and I think you don't like you. You've had some massive wins. You're a super successful guy, but how do you stay so humble? Like, how well, do you say it's so level-headed? People, well, partly it's because people only notice what you're successful at, but, of course, I notice the things that I'm not successful at. So so you're only telling half the story here. You know, you you, you are concentrating on, on what's worked for us as business, right? Yeah. I happen to know there's a whole shitload of stuff that we'd really rather not talk about. <laughs> Can you tell us about a couple of things? Tell us know, some good ones. So, you know, like, I, I can't add up, for instance. I'm useless on finances and... When we had this listed uh, company on our um, on our books, we'd have quarterly board meetings with them, and it's just page after page after page of spreadsheets and PowerPoint financial presentations and all that. And it's just, I'm just useless at it, you know. And so, but you know, we tend not to talk about that kind of stuff. We tend not to talk about the business that you you started and you put, you know half a million bucks into or something and disappeared in, you know, three months or whatever. And you think, hmm, okay, so much for that one. <laughs> you know, so it's, um, you know, from my perspective, it's, it's, it's it, you know, I know I get heaps wrong. So it's, <laughs> how can you be a little bit humble but, if you like? But still, Daryl, I think, you know, not anybody can achieve the kind of things that you've done that you and Manch have created with Intrepid. Like, what well, see, I'm not effective? entirely sure about that. Really? Um, well, in a way, because, you know, I don't, you know, I'm, no, I'm not especially clever. We had a reasonable idea and no offence, Nate, but you're not yeah. a genius or anything, but oh. you've done super well. Oh, thank you, know? you. And so I think, um, I actually think to a certain extent anyone can do it, but not anyone does. Now, that's different. You know, mm. so some people don't, for whatever reason, have the courage, they don't have the desire, whatever it is. But I'm not sure that a lot of people can't do stuff. It's just they tend not to. Well, they're too scared. Yeah, that's you know, a big one. Yeah, people are way too scared. But, you know, like I was saying to you a couple of years ago, you know, what's the worst that can go wrong? Not that much. You know, you mm. have a crack at something, doesn't work, big whoop. Mm. Get over it. Get over yourself. It's only getting over yourself, isn't it? No one else could really give a damn. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's, that's so true. Okay, well, you really, really shucked that one up. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't expect that answer, but... <laughs> Okay, let's let's talk about leadership because that's something I think you're really good at too. You know, what advice? <laughs> yeah, I, Again, I, I, you're only saying the good bits, aren't you? It's the same story. Okay, well, know? like leading a team, you know, mm. like what what can we learn from your experience? Yeah, yeah. well, uh, I'm unsure as to whether I am good or not, but even still, take that as a premise if you like that I've yeah. you know done okay. Obviously, I, I think for me the biggest part about a team is 
I guess the, the first thing is it's a bit like a, a product or a marketing or whatever. Make sure you've got something to work with. You know, it's got yeah. to, you've got to have good people there in the first place. Yeah. And if you haven't got good people there, it's really difficult to lead a team because at the end of the day, a group of people needs respect above everything else. You've got to have mutual respect in that group of people in the room. So if you've got a degree of respect in the room, then it's really easy to lead because you can gather thoughts and gather thinking and work it through as a team. And that team will be reasonably happy deferring to you in a leadership role to say, if there's, you know, we could go one or two ways and you only can go one way, you know, at that point I might say, okay, let's go this way. Or I might say, you know what, I don't know which way is the best way. Let's work it out collectively. And and I think you do that a few times. People get more and more respect for your style. You work well together. Generally speaking, because you're getting the best ideas possible, the results will be pretty good because, you're, you know, five brains is better than one. Mm. Um, and so you're harnessing those brains in a, in a constructive, positive, forward-looking way. And it starts to work. And, and so once it starts to work, it becomes a reinforcing, uh, self-fulfilling prophecy because you're working with a group of people who have confidence and have faith in themselves and have faith in you as a leader, I suppose, but really it's an internally built faith that starts to just propagate the future. Mm. And it works. I see. And so, but again, you know, it's, it's built off luck and success. Let's say for a second that evaporated, then I can equally imagine there'd be a, a negative feedback loop that goes the other way. And you see that in some businesses too, where, you know, they're, uh, they're floundering for whatever reason and leadership doesn't help. You know, we acquired a business about uh, five years ago and it was a shocking bloody business. It was a terrible business and no amount of love or effort or leadership could turn that around. And uh, they weren't bad people, and, but it was just all sorts of things wrong with that and we couldn't get the bloody thing to work. <laughs> shocking. <laughs> gotcha. So... What about culture? Because, you know, when I worked at Intrepid, I had, a, I had a really good time. It was so much fun. And one thing that I can always take away from that experience was that everyone, you're always on the, like, there was no hierarchy and everyone was really friendly. And if you, yeah. you know, it, it, you could always have a chat with someone. If ever, anyone needed a hand, there would always somebody be there to help you. And it was yeah, very it's 2015, isn't it? I mean, you know, if you, everyone spends a lot of time working. So if you're going to go to a place and spend a lot of hours there, you want to be with people you like or mm. vaguely respect and enjoy their company and all that. So it doesn't mean that you have to go to your, your desk and sit behind your cubicle and do nothing but work. Well, one, it's probably not very productive work anyway. But two, it's not what you want to do in life. You want to have a bit of a chat. You want to have a cup of coffee. You want to, you know, throw around ideas and stuff like that. So it, it seems to me just common sense to, to say, well, yeah, enjoy work. You know, if you're not enjoying work and not thinking, yeah, it's good, don't come to work or find somewhere you do like, more to the point, you know. Mm. So our workplace is our workplace, another one is another one. And, you know, we'll have a certain style or whatever which will suit certain people, but it won't suit others. You know, if, if there's a, I don't know, a super high-performing, aggressive finance type who just wants incredibly aspirational and all the rest of it, they're probably never going to fit in in our organisation. That's cool because there's lots of other organisations where they will, you know. So have you have you spent a lot of time developing the culture ever since the beginning or is that something that kind of manifested? Uh, look, in the early days, definitely did. And, and um, I can't say I have really in the last few years. Yep. Um, and, and indeed, I you know, I 
kind of think if anything, it's probably not as good as it used to be. But when you've got a few hundred or a few thousand people working in your organisation, it's it is much harder to keep your yeah. finger on the pulse with culture. You know, culture is a funny thing, mm. um, and arguably we perhaps haven't invested enough in culture in the last few years. Although interestingly enough, the last six to nine months has been very positive in the sense because you can get a you can take your pulse of your culture. But um, sorry, where was the question going? I just, yeah, I guess what I guess you know in terms of you know when you first started on your working yeah, on your culture, yeah. so like early what, days it was super critical. But yeah, what did you, know, you do? What did you do? That's what I'm curious. What did well, you do? I think we. Uh, it's a long time ago now. Yeah, isn't it's it? a long time ago. But and I say we worked hard on it, but I don't know that it's hard by design. I think it was yeah. more hard because it's just the kind of workplace I wanted to work in. Yeah, you know, and I, so I'd had a couple of jobs uh, where I didn't actually enjoy going to work. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, well, I want to have my own company. That's fine for me as a shareholder. Yes. Uh, but I also want to work with people I want to work with and all that. So, And I wanted them to enjoy working. Now, being in the travel space, it kind of helps because yeah. people are coming and going and you're always talking about stuff that you love anyway. So it's mm. kind of good like that. But you just kind of think, well, hell, you know, it's... You and I might have a beer later on, and I quite yeah. like having a beer in the afternoon. So, you know, some days you just get the beers out of, you know, in the early days you get out the beers at 12.30 or something, and you're having a few beers in the office, and that's kind of good. And, you know, it's slow. The phones aren't ringing. Let's have a beer. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And that, and that just builds fun, you know. And so and then some days you really hit it hard. or other day, But flip side is other days there's work on, and you're bloody there till 8, 9, 10, 11 o'clock, whatever it takes. And those same guys who you're skiving off having a beer with on, you know, two weeks ago, you're all putting in and that's culture. Yeah. You know, it's not just you... about the good times. It's about when you've just got a job to get done and everyone knuckles down and really does it. Gotcha. Because I think that's a really fine line to have this kind of relaxed culture, but then when the chips are down or when you expect people to work, you, you push them I don't to think work. it's yeah. a fine line. No, no, I don't quite agree because okay. I think it's a personal pride issue. Most people in the world actually want to feel good about what they do. And so whether if they're doing a job, they actually want to feel like, you know, and it's not a, not a leadership job, it might be, in your case, fixing computers and stuff, yeah. you know. And, but you think, hey, this guy's got a problem with their work or their computer or whatever, I want to try and help them. Yeah. And, and you want to walk away from that thinking you've made a difference, you know, and that's most people when they come to work, they want to do that. And so in that sense, it's just harnessing that, isn't it? And it's just saying yeah. to people, you know, you know, you be yourself, you be comfortable in the kind of person you want to be and hopefully that fits our collective culture. But we still want you to be a great person and we still want you to do great work. And, you know, if you just rock up because you want to have a yak to people or a beer in the afternoon or something like that, yeah. no, that's not how it works. There's there's a collective responsibility. But we want you to be great and and you might want to do this job this time but in down the track you know what you might want to go and do something completely different as, as you would know we have people a fair degree of mobility you know so someone in finance might be in it or they might be in marketing or they might go over and work in one of our a company in in kenya or peru or whatever and that mobility is really nice and you know it suits a lot of people these days that they want to have a broader experience either geographically or culturally or skill set or whatever it is or some others just like to say okay well I'm a an, an accountant I'll get a job as a bookkeeper and then I'll go up 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 and if a company is growing then you can satisfy that kind of person as well hmm. so that's okay, why yeah. it's one of the reasons why I love growth I'm a growth chunky because yeah. it uh, apart from the fact that it it keeps me uh, engaged in terms of um, mentally 
it also keeps people see opportunities. You know, so whilst a company is growing, there's always places you can go. As soon as a company stopped growing, the lid's there, managers aren't moving on, so therefore people below managers aren't moving on. Yeah, you can move laterally, but it's harder. If the whole pool is growing, it's much easier to move around a, in, a, in a, an organisation and yeah. so therefore satisfy your, you know, people's natural curiosity about growth. Gotcha. Um, look, we have to work towards wrapping up. A couple more questions. When it comes to growth, how do you identify, like, like how do you identify these, these leverage points? Or um, areas that you know you could scale up. Oh, look, sometimes it's um, it's accidental. Sometimes it's it's purpose. I, I read a lot. Uh, yeah, an awful lot. And so I've never been a particularly hard worker. Still aren't. Um, <laughs> so you know, I'll, I always used to get home at five five thirty at night and yeah. work at night. But I'd read, you know, and yeah. and then I travel a lot. So I usually take about three months a year holiday, and I read quite a lot in there. And and you just think about stuff when you're traveling too, or you know, I'm famous for having baths. I'll sit in a bath for two hours with a glass of wine and, and just kind of, you know, contemplate the universe type stuff. Other times you, you do it a little bit more scientifically and you actually kind of say, okay, where are the opportunities? And in terms of source markets maybe, you know, where do I see the next big lot of travellers coming from, be it, you know, a geography or a demographic or a culture base or growing source markets? Is it new product categories that we could get into that we aren't in at the moment that would still suit our core competence? Is there lateral fields that are related to what we do, but we're not in at the moment? And, you know, so you start to look at it and then you start to quantify it and, and try and build up a business case around it. So, yeah, it's that, that half accidental kind of just reading, thinking, exposure stuff, and then half more disciplined approach, taking a... a, a um, you know, the, a disciplined strategic approach to growth opportunities. So it's a little bit of both, and I, I think both is good. Gotcha. Any game-changing books you'd recommend? You recommended The Lean Startup to me. That's yeah, game- really? Yeah, you recommended Hey, that, that wasn't too. bad, yeah, was it? Yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Any game-changers that people you think, you know, our audience, you know, aspiring, novice stage, early-stage startup founders? Oh, it's not new book now, but that um, Peter Thiel book, Zero to One. Oh, okay. Uh, I haven't read that one. Yeah, just got to. It's yeah? just a stunning book. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, No, he's um, he's such a great thinker. I'm not sure I'd want to work for him or with him, but yeah. he's an outstanding thinker. So that's probably the book of the last 12 months, I think, in your space, if you yeah. like. Yeah. Okay, awesome. All right, well, look, um, you know, where's the best place people can find you, Daryl? Well, I'm in New York next week, um, <laughs> and I'm looking next year in uh, April. I'm heading off to the Caucasus. Uh, do you even know where that is? Oh, come on, mate! This, no. is, this, this, this is when I ask that question. This is the time when you plug, plug, plug your stuff. Oh, oh, gee, I'm a bit slow, I know. So, well, I'm not. So, the Caucasus is Azerbaijan and Armenia and Georgia, right? Okay. I'm not sure we're going to sell hundreds of thousands of travellers to that destination, but I tell you what, I'm bloody excited about going there. So I've got a few weeks yeah, there. Yeah, okay, wow. And then I'm walking in Portugal for uh, three weeks uh, in late May. And then um, what are we doing? Oh, lots of going okay, skiing in, in Japan in, yeah, in wow. February. So, yeah, there's a bit live of, a good life. Yeah, it's not bad. I can't complain. <laughs> I have to say I've been very lucky. Very okay, fortunate. one last question. You're telling me that you said you say you. So I found something interesting. You said you're you're not a very hard worker. So you you're saying that when you started the business or or during this whole period, you've never done like eighty hour weeks, sixty hour weeks, 
50 hour weeks? No. Uh, look, look, sure. On, on, I'm you... sure I have done an 80 hour week, yes. yes. But it's not something I admire and it's certainly not something I do yeah. usually. Yeah, no. It, um, yeah, look, periodically you've got to put it in. But it's very rare and, and I hate it with a passion. Oh, really? Yeah. You yeah. like chilling out by sounds of it. Yeah, yeah. Relaxing and traveling. And... Yeah, yeah. No, that's right. Absolutely. And I just, look, I'm, I also find, I think I'm not uh, very capable because after a few hours, I just, my brain goes to mush. And I'm just, my quality of thinking isn't as good as it used to be. Mm. Um, I, I don't mean used to be, as in you do eight hours, that's enough. You know, yeah. your brain's tired. If you're really thinking for eight hours, that's a fair bit. Mm. You can't think for bloody 18 hours or you think you can, but you're not. And, mm. you know, sometimes you reflect on some of the work you're doing and it's not as good as it should be. And, you know, you can do two or three days that are really super hard and particularly on if you're on sales roadshows and things like that and you're skipping around all over the place and, yeah. you know, you're really putting in. But, you know, it's just the quality of thinking isn't always as good as it should be. Mm. Okay, gotcha. So if anybody wants to do an adventure travel trip, intrepidtravel.com. Thank you very much. That's a plug. <laughs> you're much better at this than me. Awesome. All right, we'll wrap there. <laughs> Thanks, Nate. Thank you. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.